In medicine, they call it homeostatic. That is, everything is staying the same. The patient's life is staying the same. The medicine is counteracting the infection. The infection is not overtaking the antibiotic, homeostatic. In physics, they call it equilibrium. That is, everything is settled down. Not, not one force is overpowering another force. Everything is at status quo equilibrium. Now, we know that every now and then something happens and everything is thrown off. One force does overtake another force. And then you have something like a volcanic eruption. And then the world is forever changed. The landscape is changed. You have two tectonic plates. They bump into each other. One overrides the other. You have an earthquake. Everything is changed. It's no longer status quo. Everything's no longer just settled down because the equilibrium is disrupted. Most of us, we don't like it when our equilibrium gets disrupted, do we? It affects us. We like it when things are just settled down status quo and nothing overrides anything else because then we know that we're okay and everyone else is okay. It's all good equilibrium. We like that. And that's one of the frustrations that we have with Jesus, isn't it? Jesus just doesn't let things stay at status quo. He comes and he disrupts our equilibrium. We live in this upside down world with our upside down logic. And here comes Jesus giving us this right side up truth and it disrupts everything. I mean, we can spend weeks just pouring over a couple sentences in scripture that just disrupt our lives as they get fleshed out in how we live. That's why there's so many Christians who say how much they love Jesus, but keep his word at arm's length because his truth, it disrupts our lives. It doesn't just let us stay at status quo. It affects our equilibrium. Pilate would find that out. Everything was going good for Pilate. Pilate was the Roman installed governor in, in Judea. Things were good for Pilate. And then Jesus showed up and his equilibrium was disrupted. Pilate, he'd formed all the proper allegiances, but they didn't matter now. Jesus was messing everything up. Let me show you what I mean. Check it out. John chapter 18, verses 33 through 37 reads this. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king for this purpose. I was born and for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. This is the reason I came into the world to bear witness to the truth. 
And in that moment, Pilate's equilibrium got disrupted real quick. Things were getting dicey for Pilate. He was caught in this political trap. He needed a way out. Pilate, he was a survivor. He was a very savvy politician. He knew how to handle Rome and he knew how to skirt through all of the issues involved with being a Roman installed governor in a Jewish province. He, he was a savvy politician and now he was being put on the spot. And Pilate didn't like it. He didn't like it one bit. Pilate was not comfortable with Jesus. He wasn't comfortable with Jesus at all. His wife was having dreams telling him, Pilate, have nothing to do with this man. You need to get him away from you as fast as you can. And Pilate wanted to do just that. He wanted to be rid of Jesus to get him out of his life because Jesus was upsetting everything. He was disturbing his equilibrium. But the Jews, they, they wouldn't let Pilate off the hook that quickly. You know, the religious leaders of the day, they kept pushing Jesus back to Pilate. Pilate, he tried to pawn him off on Herod. He tried to get rid of him. But the Jew, Jews, they just kept bringing him back to Pilate, demanding Pilate make a decision. He claims to be the king, they would tell him. He claims to be the king, and if you let Jesus go, well, then you're no friend of Caesar because this man has made claims in opposition to Caesar. You know, this is not the only time these claims would come up. These claims would come up quite often, actually. It's one of the reasons why we believe Luke wrote the books, Luke and Acts. He wrote to a, a man named Theophilus. Theophilus was a nickname. We believe he's just this persuadable person in the hierarchy of Roman leadership, Roman government, who if you could persuade him, perhaps he would have a hearing with the Roman Empire to defend Paul and the message that Paul was proclaiming this kingdom of God that did not pose a political threat to Rome per se. But now in this moment, Pilate is on the spot. He's got to make a call. He, he's looking for some kind of a way out to see if he can trap Jesus in, in some kind of word trap so that he can justify his next, his next act. So he presses the issue. He asks the, the question, this essential question, this only question that matters. Pilate asks Jesus, are you a king? Are you the king of the Jews? It's what the people are saying about you. Your own people are saying this. The Jewish leaders are saying this. Your nation is saying this. It's not me, Jesus. This is what everyone else is saying. Are the charges that they are bringing up against you, are they true? Are they valid? Are you claiming to be king? In Jesus, if he were to say yes, well, then Pilate has his cover. This man is a traitor. He's raising up a kingdom against Rome. He's challenging the authority of Caesar. And by the authority of Rome, he must be dealt with. On the other hand, if Jesus were to say no, well, then Pilate has his cover there too. He doesn't claim to be a king. He's not raising up some kingdom against Caesar. He's not challenging the authority of Rome. He would have the cover he needs to make the decision that he wants to make. But just like Jesus, he doesn't answer either way. He's not going to provide Pilate the cover that he needs. He's going to force Pilate to make this decision 
all on his own. Isn't it, isn't that just like Jesus? I mean, how many times do people come to Jesus and they try to trap Jesus with some kind of question and it looks like, oh man, there's no way out of this. And then Jesus, he just responds in such a crafty way as to kind of almost turn the tables back on the questioners themselves. I mean, you remember that time, don't you? When the religious leaders, they come up and they ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, by what authority are you doing these miracles? And Jesus says, all right, I'll answer your question if you just answer me this one question first. John's baptism, was it from heaven or from men? And then the religious leaders, they get nervous and they start looking at each other and they say, well, if we say from heaven, we're in trouble because at that moment, we're essentially recognizing the divine authority of Jesus. But if we say from men, all of John's followers are going to be upset and they're going to be irate against us. And so what do the religious leaders do? They walk away grumbling, complaining because Jesus had turned the tables on them. Or you remember the other scene, there's, there's a crowd of people, they're angry, they've got stones in hand. Jesus, we've trapped this woman right in the very act of adultery, they shout. Moses' law demands that we stone her, what do you say? You can almost picture Jesus, can't you, just sighing as he kneels down to the ground and begins to draw in the sand, and he says, fine. The one of you without sin, he can go ahead and throw the first stone. And then you can almost imagine the thud of all those rocks, stones just falling to the ground from these would-be accusers as they walk away in silence. Are you king, Jesus? Is that your question or somebody else's pilot? Is somebody just feeding you these lines, telling you what you ought to say? Are you still playing these political games? Somebody putting you up to all this? Is that your question or somebody else's? Well, it's what your people are saying about you. Are you a king? Well, you're right to say I'm a king, but I'm not a king in the way that you define a king to be. I'm not a king in the way that you understand a king to be. I'm not a king like that, but Pilate, he jumps on the one word that he understands. He understood the word king. He knows what king meant. He's a Roman installed governor. He, he knows Rome's rules. He knows how Rome works. And Rome's rules were this. If we want it, we take it. And if you oppose us, we destroy you. We'll come to you. We'll, we'll, we'll offer you terms of peace and arrangement where you can be a subject of the empire. But if you oppose us, we'll wipe you off the face of the earth. You remember Hannibal? Oh man, the, the army that Hannibal led against Rome. Hannibal led this army marching full of elephants over the Pyrenees Alps. Well, Rome would get her revenge. You remember Rome goes into Hannibal's hometown of Carthage and the destruction was so complete that it sowed salt deep into the ground so that no one could live in Carthage for generations. Pilate understood these rules. He, he understood what it meant to claim power, to call yourself a king, that if you want something, you take it. If somebody has what you need, you grab it. This is how a king operates. The one who has the power makes the rules. The one who has control, well, he's in charge. The one who dies with the most toys, they win. That's the way it is. That's how the equilibrium of the world works. And here's Jesus disrupting all of that. 
So Jesus, now, now you claim to be a king, but you have no control. You claim to be a king, but you have no army. You claim to be a king, but you have no power. Or did he? You see, there's this uncomfortable moment for Pilate, this one who's sitting on the throne of the Roman governor, this one who has all the symbols of all the power of Rome behind him, this one who has the authority to decide whether or not Jesus lives or dies, which is the wave of his hand, this one who has the power of the Roman Empire all at his fingertips, was now powerless to make his own decision. The Jews had him trapped in this political game, and he knows that if he makes one wrong decision, Rome herself will come in and challenge his authority. They will rise up against him, remove him from power. He's put in a place where he wants to make one decision, but he can't. Funny, isn't it? Because of his allegiances, this man who has all the power doesn't have any at all, and the one who seems to have no power has it all. They're going to kill you, Jesus. No, they're not going to kill me. I'm going to give my life of my own accord. No one makes this choice for me. It's not that I've been arrested by the Jews, that I've surrendered to the will of my father. That choice has already been made. But they're going to take your life, Jesus. Now that they can't take it, it's already been given. But your life will mean nothing, Jesus. You're not the one who gets to decide the meaning of my life. My meaning comes from the Father himself. You see, Pilate, he was used to a king who had armies, who had soldiers, who had swords, who had spears, who had chariots. Jesus stands before him a king without any of that. He stood there with simply the power of love. Now, we hear that today, the power of love, and we roll our eyes and we say, oh, brother, the power of love, what does that even mean anyway? It's because we don't understand the word love. We've diminished it. We've diluted it where it doesn't even mean anything. I mean, we love each other and we love pizza. We love God and we love cotton candy. We've diluted the word so much that the power of love is lost on a loveless generation. It's the power of love is, is this power that created the universe and sustains it and holds it all together. It's the power that raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the power in 1 Corinthians 13 that bears all things. We don't understand a power like that because so few of us have it. It's all about image in our society. It's all about style. It's about perception. It's about us. It's about me. See, these are the allegiances that we make, and we form these allegiances to this type of thing, to image, to style, to perception, to us. It's about what I want and what I need. Jesus, he stood before Pilate, not thinking about a self-serving kingdom that was about him and what he needed and what he could get out of this moment and how he could self-preserve himself right there in that moment. No, he thought about the kingdom of God, the glory, the majesty, the honor, the love of the Father. This is a different kind of kingdom. You know, a good exercise for you right now, just grab a sheet of paper and draw a line right in the middle. On one side have the heading Pilate and on the other side have the heading Jesus. And then open up the scriptures and just ask yourself, okay, what words, what actions describe Pilate? What words and what actions describe Jesus? And then you look at those lists and you ask yourself, which list best describes me? 
Because in a lot of ways, Pilate was a guy that we could all admire on a certain level. He was dedicated to the achievement of his goals. He would stop at nothing. I mean, you got in the way and you would pay the price. He was ruthless in his pursuit of power, of success. He went after what he wanted, and he wanted to be a player in the Roman Empire. So he built the proper allegiances necessary to make sure that he would advance, to make sure that his life was a success. But what is a success, really? I mean, success in Rome and in every other earthly kingdom is always defended by force and violence. It's always maintained by retaining power and control. It's always exhibited through strength and status. Pilate had all that he had because he was so well aligned with Rome. Jesus came offering a different kind of kingdom. A kingdom that's defended by a commitment of the heart. A kingdom that's advanced by the giving away of power and the giving away of control. A kingdom that's maintained by love. And that's how we know that we're saved, isn't it? We know we're saved by our love for one another. This is the reason that Jesus was born to be aligned and to advance this kingdom, the truth of this kingdom. Pilate, he doesn't understand a kingdom like this. He doesn't understand a king like this. And you know what? So few people do. Even, even in the church, we like to measure success. Oftentimes, it looks more the way Pilate would measure success. We, we want to see numbers growing, and we want to look at the programs that are going on in the church building. We want to be able to point to, yeah, we're doing that program. We got this going on, all this happening here at the church building. We got this, 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 and this. We got our allegiances here. What if Jesus didn't measure success that way, not by numbers and graphs and programs, but what if he measured success more the way a proud parent or grandparent measures success? I mean, you know how it works, don't you? Somebody comes over to your house and you say, hey, I want you to look at this photo album of my kids. Have I I showed you these pictures before? And they say, yeah, I think you've showed me those before. And you say, well, it doesn't matter. Let's look at it again anyway. And here, look, this is my child's first birthday. This is my child's first game. This is my child's graduation. What if Jesus measured success by saying, here, look, this is my child understanding how much I love them. Here, look, this is my child understanding that I created them with a purpose before the foundation of the earth. I had a reason for their being. I knew what I wanted to do with them. And this is them understanding that. Here, look, this is my child using and developing the gifts that I've given them. Here, look, this is my child making their first disciple. Here, look, this is my child. You see, success in the kingdom isn't so much about numbers, it's lives. It's lives transformed to impact others. This is what we're aligned to. This is what we give our allegiance to in this kingdom. Are you a king, Jesus? Well, that's your word, not mine. I'm not a king in the way that you understand a king to be. If I were a king in the way you understand a king, my servants would be fighting. Well, they are fighting, but just not in a way you understand. You see, my people, they don't just throw their arms up in the air and say, well, I'm just going to give it to God. No, my people fight, and they fight with this weapon of love. 
They, they love, they go to places where no one else would go. This love, this love that restores dignity to broken lives, this love that gives identity to people who have been ruined by past mistakes, this love that gives destiny to those who have been wounded by broken promises, this love that gives hope and peace to the wounded and the confused, this love that takes us to places that nobody else would go. We touch every sphere of society and we touch every corner of culture with this love. We go in love to those our society says they aren't worth our time, our effort, our energy. We go there. We go to those people who our society says just leave them be, let them live and let live. You just have your own religion. We go and we show them the purpose in life that our Father gives. Jesus reminded us of all this. When he went to those people that the world says were untouchable and he touched them anyway, you see, that's how this kingdom advances and it can't be stopped by Rome. It can't be stopped by any political party. It can't be stopped by communism. There are places in our world where we worried, oh no, has the purge been so complete that the church was wiped out? Has it been so successful in disrupting Christianity only to find out decades later that the church never stopped gathering and the church never stopped going? Because this is the power of God's kingdom. It advances no matter who's in charge, no matter what is happening. And so you draw that line and you look at it and you ask yourself, am I more aligned to the things that Pilate was aligned to? Or have I built my allegiances where Jesus built his allegiances? See, Pilate, he looked and he thought like he had all the power. But in the moment that mattered most, he was powerless to make his own decision, and he missed it. I pray that we don't. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are a God who comes and you give freedom. God, we, we thank you that your kingdom is advanced not through power and the sword, but your kingdom is advanced through love. God, help us to love well as we find our allegiance ultimately in you. We ask this by the power of your Holy Spirit and the grace of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.